There's a common scene in films or cartoons that kind of plays itself out in slightly different ways, but this is the general theme of it. So um, picture this in your minds. Uh, imagine there's a, the character, and we'll, we'll say it's a small monkey. The film we saw yesterday had a small monkey in it, so it's, that's fresh in my mind. A small monkey is being chased through the jungle by uh, these wild creatures, these wild animals. They're getting closer and closer. This small, little, frail, weak monkey is there, chasing out ahead, but they are getting closer, and you know they're going to catch up. Eventually, they catch up with this character, and they surround him, or they, they have him trapped, and he has no way out. And so there he is against these fearful, wild creatures. And the monkey is looking scared. There's no way out, no answer. And then suddenly, as we look on the enemies, the wild animals, a shadow is cast over them. They look up, and they're terrified, and they run away scared. The monkey turns round, and he sees his big, scary animal friend, who is scarier than the ones who are chasing him. And because he's scarier, they, they ran away fearful. But he was friends, this monkey was friends with this big animal. Does that make sense? You follow me there? That kind of picture happens in films time and time again in lots of different ways. But this small little weak character had this big friend, and this big friend scared off all the enemies. Now, the reason I'm saying that is Daniel had lived his life facing many fears, many scary things. The first thing was, we see in chapter 1 of Daniel, he is taken from his home at a young age, away from his family, away from his friends, away from the culture he knew, into this alien culture of Babylon, and he was taken there, and the aim was, he was the cream of the crop, the best of the best in uh, Jerusalem, he was taken away in order that they could Babylonianize Daniel. They wanted to make him anti-God, uh, they wanted him to hate God, they wanted him to follow their gods. He faced that assault, and God was with him and helped him to stand strong. His friends stood up and didn't worship the big statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built. And because of that, his friends were thrown into a furnace. Did they die? Well, no, because with them came um, God's, God sent his helper. The, the Son of God came and stood in that furnace with them, and they were protected. He faced uh, the threat of, of having to stand up to these corrupt officials that we see, and he stood firm. You see, Daniel had proven throughout the years that the God who was with him was bigger than any king, bigger than any empire, and the one who could stand tall. And we see that the, this is the third king that Daniel sees, Darius, here in chapter 6. And every king has realized that God, the God that Daniel serves, is the true God. And Daniel was so aware of the size of God... That when he faced this final trial of being thrown to the lion's den, he could have confidence in his God. He could be faithful to God. You see, Daniel knew the size of God and his greatness and his power and his awesomeness. And because of that, it transformed his life. How big is God in your life? So often we can shrink him down, can't we? And he is weak and he is frail. And we don't really expect much from him. And really we try and do life on our own. But the God of the Bible is a glorious God, a majestic God who promises to be with us and help us throughout our lives. So if God is big, what should a life like that look like? What difference does that make? Well, when God is big in our lives, I want us to see five things that um, Daniel's, how Daniel's life has changed. Five things that uh, changes in his life. 
So when God is big in our life, the first thing he brings, the first difference, the first change he brings is this, honesty. When God is big in our lives, that will bring honesty into our lives. Now Daniel was um, a foreigner, he, didn't, he wasn't from Babylon, and so he was a Jew who is now one of the highest officials in the land. You saw that as we read through in the first few verses. And uh, all the leading officials were now, in verse 2 we see, they were bringing their reports, they were giving an account to Daniel. Why is that? Well, it tells at the end of verse 2, so that the king might suffer no loss. What does that mean? Well, it was very common for the government officials then to take bribes, to be corrupt, and so they would do their job, but actually they'd, they'd end up getting, doing very well out of it for themselves. They'd just take an extra bit of cash here and there, and they'd be having a very comfortable, very rich life because they were taking money that should have been the king's. So Daniel was put there to make sure the king would suffer no loss, that everything that belonged to the king would come to the king. So Daniel was put there because the king trusted him, because he was honest, because he knew that Daniel wouldn't take something that didn't belong to him. And he was ready to tell if other people had. Now, Daniel had been put there for that reason. He wasn't corrupt. He wouldn't lie. He was honest. What he said to the king's face was the same as what he said behind his back, as it were. And these men could see, here is Daniel, keeping an eye on them. And they didn't like that. Their lifestyle that they might have got used to because of the extra cash that they were getting in, now was going to have to change. And so they thought, well, we've got to get rid of him. We've got to get rid of this Daniel because of how different he is, because of his honesty. Now, they were probably jealous of how high up he was as well, not being a Babylonian, and they wanted to get rid of this foreigner. So what do they decide? They want to discredit him. They want to trap him. They want to find fault in him. Now, what did they do in order to find fault in him? The only thing that they could do. They searched high and low. They were trying to find some way to kind of smear him, to find something uh, to trip him up. And they couldn't find anything. Do you see that? Verse 4, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error could be found in him. You couldn't dig up any dirt on Daniel. Isn't that an amazing thing to see? Now, you think now when um, politicians or leaders come into their places in our um, country or in America and places like that, they try and dig up dirt on people on their past, don't they? Search through their old tweets and try and find something scandalous they might have said. Or Daniel was clean. Nothing to be found. He was faithful and true to his word. And the only way they could trap him was to make it in connection with his faithfulness to his great God. Now, what a challenge that is as we start. Daniel knew God was big. And because God was big, that affected every area of his life. And not just the big decisions, but every small thing. When nobody was watching, Daniel was faithful. And he was honest. And he was true. Not because Daniel feared God, didn't he? He knew that what God thought about him was more important than what other people thought. God was bigger in his mind than other people. Now, how often does that switch around with us? How often are we more fearful of what other people think of us than we are of what God thinks? And so actually we end up serving people and doing what they want rather than what God wants. Well, this morning the challenge for us is look at the honesty that Daniel lived with, the integrity that he had. And not only did he have integrity, but he clearly worked hard. We see he was excellent at his job. Uh, verse 3, there was an excellent spirit within him, it's put there. That probably referred to his leadership skills, his um, wisdom, his ability, his character. He was a hard, good worker. 
He was serving, yes, he was serving Darius, but he was serving God. God was big in his life. God was um, there and real. And it's not just Daniel that's told to live in that way, is it? Think of Ephesians 6, um, where Paul tells us, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Serve your bosses as if they were Christ. Not by the way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with all good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this you will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. You see the principle that Paul lays down there. As you serve in work, as you serve those around you, do it as if you're serving Jesus. Just see how different that changes it, how different that make, what difference that makes in your life. Do it for Christ, because ultimately he's your boss. And we're to serve our earthly masters as if serving him. So whatever we do, we do for him. And that heightens everything, doesn't it? Maybe we think something is a menial task that we've been given to do. But if we're doing it for him, well, we can please the Lord by doing it. Whatever we do, we do for him. So Daniel grasped that, and it transformed his life. Now, when we think of what difference that makes in our life, do we work excellently? Are we tempted to cut corners? Are we tempted to kind of um, get away with it, stuff when people aren't looking? Is there a disconnect between our public life and our private life? Do we fear God or do we fear man? Do we care more about what other people think than what God thinks? See, if God is big in our life, if he is real and, and glorious, then that will affect our lives in a big way. We will have this honesty. I wonder if you're aware that your life is lived in the presence of the king. Not King Darius, but the king of kings, in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you look back on this last week, what would be different about your life if you truly lived that out? That Jesus is present with me every moment. What would change? It's challenging, isn't it? It kind of humbles us to the core, at least it should. But also it might make us kind of cringe, thinking, well, I don't want to think about that. The things I've done or said or... If Jesus saw that, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. And isn't that just the glory of the gospel message? That Jesus sees us as we truly are, no pretense. He sees us all, and he sees us as we really are, and yet he says, and I can forgive you. And yet he still invites us to come. He knows us better than anyone else, and he says, I want to forgive you. So that's, it. that's the king who's with us. The king who's not on a, kind of spying on us to watch us to trip up, but our loving God who is encouraging us and wanting us to keep going. So when God is big in our lives, the first thing we see here is it should bring an, an honesty to our lives. The second thing, when God is big, it should bring, or it will bring, hostility. Hostility into our lives. Here's Daniel living this life of fairness and honesty. He is not taken from the king, making sure the king gets everything. And then, what do the other officials say? Do they say, what a good worker. It's great having Daniel around. You know, he just lifts the place up and, oh, he's great. No, they, their, their deeds are exposed. Their lives are exposed by this light that Daniel is bringing. They don't want him there. They are losing out. And so they want to get rid of him. So they go to the king, and in verses 6 to 9, basically they flatter the king. And they say, you're the true God, Darius. You don't want anybody worshipping any other gods, do you? So let's make a decree. Let's make a law that if anybody prays to any other god except you, 
then they get thrown to the lion's den. You know, make this a law, Darius. Make this no way out. So he's the only God worthy of worship, they say. And that's what he signed. He signed it, and that couldn't be changed then. Why the lions? Well, they probably heard about the furnace and how that didn't get rid of Daniel's friends. And these lions, well, they would rip him limb from limb, and it would be, that would be one sure way of getting rid of him. So they knew what they were doing. They knew that the only way they could track Daniel is by um, saying it's going to be illegal. So if Daniel were to pray, that was it. But what does Daniel do? Verse 10, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had been, um, where he, sorry, where he had been, where he, hang on, I mixed my lines up here. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem, got down on his knees and prayed, gave thanks to his God as he had done before. Now you might think, well, why didn't Daniel just shut the windows and carried on praying? The people aren't stupid. They know that if they'd have walked in on him, they knew the time. They'd be watching him. They'd have caught him anyway. You know, it wasn't just a kind of, I, a kind of a, I'm still praying, but he just said, I'm going to carry on, as I have done. So Daniel stayed faithful, and it cost him. Daniel was honest, and it cost him. So for us to live faithful lives, for us to live these honest lives that should uh, be a result of having God, being aware of God's presence with us, we're going to face hostility. If you're not cutting corners in work and other people are, that's going to show them up and they won't like it. If you're going to be honest with your phones in ways that other people aren't, then that's going to show up other people and it will not be popular. If we're going to stand up for what the Bible teaches in this day and age, that is not going to be popular. We will face hostility. And we're living in a culture that is hostile to God. A culture that doesn't want God. And for us to remain faithful to him will bring this hostility, will bring persecution. Paul says to Timothy, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus himself said, the world, if the world hates you, remember it's hated me first. You're following the one who they've killed. So Jesus is the light of the world and people prefer the darkness. And if we're following Jesus and walking in the light, people won't like it. And it will bring hostility. So Daniel faced this persecution because he was faithful. Now, do you see what that means for us? Could it be that you're not facing hostility because we're not faithful? We're not being distinct enough. You know, we're not, um, maybe we're compromising on our faith. Could that be true for us? Could that be true for you? Are we cowardly? Now, sometimes we can use the verse to, see, um, to show how we will be persecuted. And that, we use it as an excuse really to be rude and, and to be uncaring with our words. Now, we're not to go out of our way to try and get persecution. It's the gospel that offends. It's Jesus that offends, not us. And so we need to be careful how we speak. But are we faithful? If we are, we will face opposition. And we shouldn't be surprised. It helps us as well, doesn't it, to think about those believers all over the world. We face hostility, but nothing compared to what some Christians are facing today. Let's pray for them, those who are scared to meet, those who are still meeting, even though it could mean them going to prison or cost their lives. Let's pray for our believers all over the world going through persecution now. So knowing God is big in our lives will, um, will bring a life of honesty. It'll bring a life of hostility. The third thing it'll bring is this, a life of humility. So God was big for Daniel. He knew God had power. 
He knew God had strength and might and wisdom, and Daniel knew that he needed it. He needed access to God's wisdom, God's strength, not his own. That's why he prayed. He knew his own weakness. So he prayed, and he needed to speak to God. If we take prayer away, if we don't pray, what we're saying is this, I can do this life on my own. I don't need God. It's, a, it's not a nice thing to think about, but that's the reality. Our lives are saying, God, I, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. So prayer is a sign of humility. And we see here in Daniel's life, three times a day, he made time for prayer. And the only way that somebody could catch out Daniel was to make prayer illegal. I wonder if they made prayer illegal, would there be enough evidence to get you arrested? It's a challenge, isn't it? But here is Daniel. He was there. And he was ready to pray. Now, some of the commentators point out here, the real miracle of this passage isn't what happened in the den of lions, but it's what happened in Daniel's bedroom or in his room. The real den of lions was there. Because that's where he made the decision whether he was going to follow God and, or you know, go for his comfort and his safety or worship and follow and trust God. That's where the battle was. So what do we learn about this life of humility um, here? Well, don't you notice that it's, it's a habitual thing that Daniel has here? Verse 10, it tells us, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. As he had done previously. This is what he always does. He has these, um, these patterns in place, these habits, and they helped him. Now, if we don't have things in place in our lives, habits, then our lives are, well, we're going to drift along and wander away. We can sometimes be against habits or doing things at the same time because we think, oh, that's too legalistic. Now, there is always a danger of that legalism, but we need to be careful, don't we? There is an importance to habits. Good habits can transform our lives. You know, like a train on a track. You need the track to keep the train on route. We need habits to keep us in place, like a habit of coming together on a Sunday. It's a good thing because we get to remember the truths that we so easily forget during the week. A, a, a kind of a habit of spending time in prayer or reading uh, God's word. Have you got that time in your life? A time where you set aside to say, you know, I'm going to spend some time now, going to read the Bible, I'm going to pray. It doesn't have to be long. Don't say it has to be three hours or I am bothered. No, just start small this week. Five minutes. Five minutes to read your Bible and pray. If you do that every day, that will make such a marked difference. You'll soon find the five minutes isn't enough. Just having these habits is habitual. Let me encourage you to, to do that. Because when the trials come, we'll desperately need those, those kind of grooves in place, those habits in place. Because otherwise, they'll, it'll never happen then. See, there's a habitualness to this. But also, think about this humility. It shows in his posture, doesn't it? Verse 11, what does he do? He, um, uh, these men came, sorry, he got down on his knees, verse 10, and three times a day he prayed. He was on his knees. Now, Daniel, remember, he was one of the highest, uh, most powerful people in the whole empire, the most powerful empire in the world. So he's one of the most powerful men in the world. People would have been bowing to him all day. Can you imagine the temptation to let that go to your head? To think I'm something special. To think, you know, you should be down on your knees before me. Well, no, three times a day, by this act, he was acknowledging there was somebody greater than him. On his knees, he was humble and God was the Lord. He was the boss, not him. 
And so his outward kind of posture showed his heart. That's not a magic formula. But it does say something, doesn't it? If the only time we pray is just as we fall asleep lying down in bed, what does that say about how we think about God? So I'm not saying we have to do this, but why not this week, if your body allows, <laughs> why not get down on your knees and pray? Why not um, change that posture to show a humility, to show God, I think you're the great one and I'm, I'm not. But the real big point here is this habit of prayer that showed he was humble and showed he was dependent on God because God was big in Daniel's life. So there's, a, there's an honesty here, there's a hostility, there's a humility. The fourth thing we see that when God is big, it brings into our life, it brings a hope. A hope. Interesting detail here that we show where Daniel was um, pointing towards. You see in verse 10, he opened his windows and faced Jerusalem. Now why was that? Remember, Daniel was in, ex in exile, so he was, he was away from his home. His home was Jerusalem, and so he was far away from there. Uh, God promised that this would happen. God said, uh, you can read this throughout the Bible, but he said, if, if my people keep turning away from me and keep rebelling against me, then one day I'm going to let another uh, people come in to take you away from your home. And Solomon, when he built the temple, prayed this um, wonderful prayer in 1 Kings 8. And in it, he prays for those people who will one day be taken away. And he says, Lord, when they pray, when they face this temple, hear their cry and bring them back. So Daniel has got in his mind the promises and the prayers that God had made to his people. And so he turns towards Jerusalem and it reminds him who he is. It reminds him of his true identity, of his true home. So for those three moments in a day, it reminded him where he truly belonged and what was truly important. And that would have been a huge thing, wouldn't it? Again, just remember the temptation he might have been under to kind of uh, try and get everything out of being in power in Babylon. But no, three times a day he would say, this is not my home, I'm a citizen of another place, and I need to keep my focus there. That's what I went, where I want to go, and that focused him. Uh, there's a term used in America called a resident alien. That is somebody who isn't an American citizen, but lives in America permanently. So they permanently live there, and they're called a resident alien. You know, as Christians, if you're a Christian, that is a good term for us. Yes, we live here in this world, but our heart, we belong to the kingdom of heaven. That is where we are citizens. We can, the problem is we can end up thinking this world is our home, and so we only live for this world, and we forget what's to come. We forget our true citizenship. We forget that we belong to a saviour in heaven who loved us, who has given us, given his life for us, one who promises to come back and give us this new creation, new heavens and new earth. So where is our focus? Where is your focus at the moment? Is it on our eternal citizenship, or have we got lost in thinking this is our only home? See, however tough things got for Daniel, he was reminded, this isn't my true home. My true home is Jerusalem. And for us, this isn't our true home. Our true home is the new Jerusalem. Now it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes when people think about things like this, thinking, oh, if you live for heaven, what good are you gonna be here? If you're only fixed on the next life, well, what use is that here and now? Well, Jeremiah, who was a prophet at the time of Daniel, uh, in Jeremiah 29, you see this discussion going on. There's a false prophet who comes and says to those who are in exile in Babylon, he says, now when you get there, don't unpack your cases effectively. Don't get involved. Stay out. But then Jeremiah says, no, no, that's wrong. 
This is what you need to do. Jeremiah 29. He said this to all the exiles. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Uh, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply. Do not in, uh, um, decrease but increase. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on his behalf. For in its welfare you find your welfare. And didn't Daniel live that out? He prayed for the good. He wanted what was good for Babylon. He didn't just hate it and say, oh, no, I have nothing to do with it. No, he was serving. He was trying to make it a better place. And so he was praying for it as he faced Jerusalem. Isn't that a good and helpful thing for us? Do we seek the best of where we are? To want it to be a better place for the glory of God. To serve here where we can to make it um, more honouring to him. So we're not to think, oh, I'm going to heaven, so I don't care about this life. No, no, no. We, we want to look after this place. We want it to be a better place. We want to serve you. So Daniel's focus is on the eternal kingdom. I'm serving the true God, and that's my true home. So it gave him hope, helped him to keep going throughout. See that can help us? This is now home. Let's live for forever. Let's live for then to keep us going, because there's light at the end of the tunnel, however dark it gets here. Just in passing, notice how this passage as well shows the limits of the kings of this world. Here's Darius, the most powerful man in the world. He signed this decree to kill Daniel, effectively. And in the night, he cannot get out of it. He wants to save Daniel, but he can't. See, this big, powerful king, his power had limits. What were the limits of God's power? He still saved Daniel. He didn't need to ask anybody's permission. That's the greatness of God. And aren't we glad that Daniel trusted in the true power and not in the... Um, the power of Darius. So when God is big, he brings honesty, hostility, humility, hope, and the last thing is this, he brings himself. Um, it's interesting, this is the most famous passage, isn't it, in Daniel, one of them, and the, we don't hear much about what happened in the lion's den. You know, it's what we kind of think of in our mind, but what happened? Because the focus is actually on, on outside. The focus is on the helpless king who's trying to work out a way out of it. But what happens? Well, the king can't sleep all night and he's worried because he cares about Daniel and when he wakes up in the morning, he, he's failed to kind of get him out of, out of this legal um, kind of uh, lock that he's in. And so verse 22, he came near, as far as verse 20, he came to the den where Daniel was and he cried out in a tone of anguish uh, and the king declared to Daniel, Oh Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, his sent one, to, uh, and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, king, I have done no harm. So Daniel says, look, the sent one came. God's angel appeared. Now when we look at the furnace, who was that angel, that presence? That was the one who looked like a god, the son of God a pre-incarnate form of Christ. So there in the fire, Jesus stood. And there in the pit, Jesus stood with, stood with him, shut the mouths of the lions. Now think of the contrast here. King Darius had all the money in the world. You know, he had comforts, opulence, and yet he couldn't sleep. He had this turbulent night. Daniel was in a pit with lions, and he had this wonderful intimacy with God in the midst of his trial. You know, we can know intimacy with Jesus, a closeness of Jesus, the reality of, our, of his presence, whatever our circumstances. 
Even if we think, well, there is no hope anywhere around me, kind of in the storm, Jesus is with us. I wonder if you need to hear that today. In the storm, he is with you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He is for you. You can know his nearness. You know, as we think of God drawing near to Daniel here, as we think of um, him and his presence with Daniel in the pit, doesn't it make us think of when God came close in this world? Emmanuel. Now let's just think of this story again. Think of how this points forward to Jesus. Here he is. Daniel lives this life of honesty, of humility, that nobody could find any wrong with him. Well, we see that in Jesus, don't we? Then he faces those who are close to him, kind of turning against him, betraying him, and him facing this injustice. Well, we see Jesus facing that too, don't we? They conspired to kill him. Jesus was bound, and he was thrown to his death. When Jesus died on the cross, though, he, he died, didn't he? He was crushed. He was killed. And then he was laid in the tomb. And just like Daniel here, the stone is rolled over. The stones rolled over the tomb. And what happens three days later? He rises again. This is, Daniel has a kind of resurrection here, but Jesus had a true resurrection. And that means in your trial, Jesus has been where you are. He's been through the fears and the failures and the struggles. He's been there. He's experienced the temptations that we go through. He's experienced all of that, and he promises to be near us. That's our saviour. He draws close because we're following his path, and when we struggle, he can draw near. The resurrection of Daniel here brought a great promise, didn't it, in verse 25. Darius makes this big um, plead for everybody or this thing to say um, all, everybody should fear the God of Daniel verse 26 everybody should serve him because he is the true king he has the power over the lions and so he puts out well, everybody needs to worship God now did that happen? well it didn't but the resurrection of Jesus points to a day where this will happen where as Philippians 2 tells us every knee will bow every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is coming back and he is going to fix a broken world. Isaiah 11 tells us of a time where wolf will dwell with the lamb. Kind of nature is going to be different. Where the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. Isn't that a picture of what happens? You can have a touch of new creation when Jesus drew near. That's the saviour we're trusting in. One who's got it all in his hands and one who hasn't forgotten your plight in this glorious plan that he's got. If you're a Christian this morning, your God is big. Don't forget that. He is the one who is with you all the time. He is the one who can do whatever he wants and accomplish whatever he pleases. He can close the mouth of lions. He can be present with you whatever your circumstance keep going, keep trusting, keep looking to him. If you're not a Christian this morning, can I encourage you and challenge you to look at this God, the all-powerful one. There's loads of people who say they have power, but their power fades and wanes, but the power of God remains forever. Would you trust in him? Would you put your, your, your faith in him? Because when he drew close, he gave up everything. He sacrificed himself for you to forgive you and give you new life. So turn to him today. Have him on your side so you don't have to be alone.
Let's pray uh, before we sing our last hymn together. Father, we pray, help us to get a true view of you in our hearts and in our minds. Help us to live, as it were, with the shadow of our great God with us. Help that to transform our lives when no one's watching. Help that to transform our lives, uh, Lord, as we uh, maybe struggle for hope. Help us, Lord, to live with this humility and dependence on you. And Lord, we thank you that you promised to be with us and never forsake us. Help us, we ask. And Lord, if there's anyone who hasn't yet trusted you, would this be the time where they reach out to you, the King of Kings, who also draws near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.